looking back, I think I've only met Matthew like three times in my entire life in person. And it's kind of shocking to think about if you think if you listen to this conversation, because as you'll notice, uh, even though we take a while to get warmed up, it's been six years since we've been in touch. Um, a few minutes into the conversation, we really get into it. And it's uh, the kind of reassuring thing I really needed um, this time of the year, this year. Um, so uh, with no further ado, um, let's do this. Also, by the way, uh, you probably noticed uh, it's been a while since I put a cast. Um, there have been changes. I'm bringing the first season to its end. And I'm very curious about how this continues next year. But I do know it's been a fantastic and very enriching experience and I definitely intend to keep doing it in some form or the other so please keep uh, in touch and keep tuned um, as always if this is something you want to support please uh, go rate review and subscribe or most importantly subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or uh, another platform of your choice if you're not into apples hello fellow beings welcome Tapasya Loading, a safe space to attempt honest, raw and authentic conversation in homage to the ancient act of stoking a sacred fire. This episode's brought to you by everynowheremusic.com. Yep, you got that right, that's yours truly. So if this is an endeavour you'd like to support, please come and sign up for my newsletter at everynowheremusic.com everynowhere or every now here, depending on whichever way you prefer to look at it. All right, we are officially on tape. Well, well I, I keep saying tape all the time, but in your case, I should watch out using that terminology because you actually record to tape, don't you? Um, it's been a while, so yeah, yeah. Yeah, I. It's probably been probably since Germany that I've recorded on tape. Really, that long? Yeah, yeah. Have you been, man? Oh, it's been a. Uh, it's been wild. I've been good, but it's you know it has not been boring. <laughs> I believe. You. Um, when was the last time we'd been in touch? It probably been quite a bit. Jesus, I remember going out for beers um, in Mannheim when you just about moved to Germany. So. Which year would oh, that yeah. have been? So it's probably like six years ago, seven years. Okay, that's not that bad. Some of the people who have come on the show uh, I haven't seen in over a decade or even talked to. Oh, wild. Yeah, it's been an interesting way to um, catch up with people who I, uh, yeah, have, you know, people you mean to keep in touch with just never get around to. And, and you, you're one of them. And uh, yeah, yeah. took a pandemic to get around to it yeah how long have you been doing this um podcast i launched in july i've been meaning to do again one of those things i've been meaning to do for a while now but in july i kind of um, went for it you know it's just um as, as i say on my invitation letter i just at some point realized well i've i've had the good fortune of getting to know meet in some cases collaborate with some really badass musicians and artists and just people, you know. Not all my guests are necessarily musicians. And um, every time I've talked to them, I feel like, wow, these are people with such meaningful stories, you know. Why don't more people mm. know about them? 
and this is my humble attempt to kind of um, try and do that. It's great. You and I met uh, the, for the first time while well, you were on tour in Germany, right? Right. Yeah, with the Soft Hills, I believe. With the Soft like, Hills, exactly. That would have been, yeah, that would have been about 10 years ago now, roughly, or longer even. Yeah. And I was deeply impressed by your demeanor. You, you were a producer for the band? That's how it started, yeah. I started out, I mixed like a, I mixed a, a record or an EP or two, and then they brought me in to produce uh, a record kind of halfway through. Um, and then I joined the band, uh, and then produced the next record. Yeah, well, so kind of folded into the, the group. Well, I remember thinking uh, once I found that out that not being surprised because it was so apparent that your um, vision of the music and your approach to the entire music while you were on stage was just so much more uh, all-encompassing, for lack of a better term. It was just very apparent that you mm. had a very it was like part of you was at the mixing console already. You were not just thinking of what exactly, only what you were playing on the instrument, but you had the whole picture in mind, the way you were listening, the way you were contributing to the entire sound. It was, um, there's a different perspective completely on your part, which was happening. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. No, no, and I, I appreciate that because uh, I've always... I've always sort of filled that role and I don't know if that was out of necessity because I'm not the most technically proficient musician, you know, I'm not, I'm not bad, but I'm not, you know, like, I mean, I can barely even learn a Led Zeppelin riff or something, you know, I've never been that kind of player. Um, and, uh, focusing on the other parts, just the overall sound and experience is something I've always kind of done from the beginning. Um, and so kind of using, I guess I've always, I guess I started out by using my limitations of the strength and not knowing it. Um, so, you know, filling up the space with sonics or, or not playing and, and such is what I've always done in bands. So the fact that you notice that is, um, yeah, it's a high compliment because I'm even in a new band now and I'm doing the same, the same sort of thing, you know, sound and space and feeling and, as opposed to just kind of shredding on the guitar. Where did your musical journey start? Um, it's interesting because it started out as a 15-year-old metalhead. <laughs> um, oh, really? I weirdly didn't grow up. Yeah, yeah. And I also didn't grow up with much music at all. I mean, my mom had a couple tapes. Um, and I heard what was ever on the radio growing up, you know, Michael Jackson and stuff like that. Um, but I didn't really, music wasn't really a big part of my youth. Um, especially like I tried playing trumpet and band and it was traumatizing. Um, <laughs> I could so. barely read music and I pretended to play the Rocky theme that, you know, a recital and that was the end of my music career till later. <laughs> um, but then, you know, I had a, I had a, it's a very dorky, scrawny, nerdy kid in sort of alpha beachy Southern California. Um, it took me a while to find my spot and I had a, mm. you know, I had a friend who was a little older and I thought he was really cool and he had long hair and listened to Metallica and, I remember picking up his bass and like the bass line was like this bass tablature and it was like zero zero one one zero zero one one three. I'm like, oh, I can do this. I love it. Um, and then I kind of got the, yeah, I kind of got the bug from there and I got really into metal. That was my introduction. Um, but I quickly learned that it was speaking to kind of, uh, for me, it was speaking to a more like 
angsty teen thing that as I started to grow up, like pretty quick, pretty quickly grew out of that. And then, um, you know, transitioned with other bands like Nine Inch Nails or The Cure, like still sort of moody and darker, but more song oriented. Um, and then, yeah, did my backwards work, you know, and started, then I discovered the Beatles and Johnny Cash and Otis Redding and, you know, the, the Brit pop wave came around with Oasis and those bands and I got more into songs and yeah, started to find my favorite bands and yeah, did a backwards journey. But yeah, it was a unusual start considering how mellow the music I make generally is compared to those starts. May I ask you to elaborate on how exactly you went about the backward journey? It was definitely like I, there was an energy to like the metal music that was exciting, but yeah. the substance wasn't really speaking to me or the, you know, the, and I think it was, yeah, like some of that more emotional kind of British gothy music, like The Cure, mm. um, that struck a chord in me. And I was like, oh, like I, I'm feeling a lot here. Mm. And um, trying to figure out, I remember like learning the guitar solo to uh, the song Letter to Elise, which is a typical sort of Cure thing. It's just very simple melodic line, you know, not like a quote unquote solo. And um, it just emoted so much to me. And I was like, oh, this is where it's at. And then I realized it was the words and the songs. You know, I'd heard all typical band, but I'd never really dug in and, and understood what that meant or, or got deeper. And yeah, it was just really fun. And, and, and if, if a bit overwhelming, I felt a bit intimidated by my more um, hip peers who grew up with a, a cool older sister or dad or whatever who turned them on to, you know, Jim Croce when they were 16 or something, which I was always jealous of. But then I realized I was sort of fortunate to hear Neil Young for the first time and, and then go, oh, wow, I get, I get to discover this whole catalog. And um, yeah, Johnny Cash's American recordings were a big one for me, too, because, uh, you know, there was Soundgarden and Depeche Mode covers that made that accessible and then made me realize, you know, and then Nine Inch Nails comes up again in this era. Um, yeah. And that was, and I just, it was just a real voracious sort of um, thing that I'm glad I lived through that era too, of like going to the used record store and just buying whatever I could for 20 bucks and tapes and CDs and, and just trying to like educate myself. And, and uh, yeah, I had friends, friends who turned me on to stuff and, yeah, it just it, it was once it once it took hold, it was there's no question that this is what I want to do. How old were you when you realized um, that is what you want to do? I'd say like probably like nineteen. That's early. Um, so pretty, yeah, I you know I started going to school after high school here in the states, going to community college. Um, it's kind of just doing the, the I should go to college plan. Um, and around the same time I started my old band, Trespassers William, um, we were both 17, I think. And, uh, we, like all young bands, we worked very hard and we thought we were hot shit and, um, well, you kind of were though. Well, we started at, yeah, we did start doing pretty well, which was, which was good. I think we stood out from the scene at the time in Southern California it was the third Scott revival, uh, no doubt. And bands like that were sort of what the area was known for mm -hmm. and, and we were doing this sort of mellow mellow dreamy thing that kind of at least got people's attention um because it was different and and, and we were very passionate about it and Annalyn is a the, the singer of that band she's a 
fantastic songwriter and I had never been in a band before then mostly because you know I would jam with people it just didn't strike a chord and again like I said songs have always been really important to me and when she played I was like oh this 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 girl has it like she's really she's really good um yeah so we I started taking that really seriously with that band and you know we're just playing coffee shops and stuff at this time but we were very dedicated and uh, a buddy of mine Josh Gordon um and uh his friend Justin Shear were starting like a what was called a new media company at the time, which is a web design company. And the plan was to have a little recording studio on the back of their, their tech company. And uh, it ended up that they had a huge recording studio with a little tech company attached to the front. And Sweet. they hired me just to, yeah, kind of do the things that they didn't have time to do. Um, so I got extremely fortunate with that opportunity uh, and started running that studio and just learning hands-on and they had some investment, so they had great gear and the beautiful space. It's still there in uh, Irvine, California, called beautiful. Sonic Wire. Wow. And, yeah, I decided, like, I was, I was going to school and I was spending money and I wasn't learning anything. So I dropped out and I just said, this is, this is what I do now. And the, the band continued to do well and the, the studio continued to do well. And I did that for about five years. Um, at which point would you say the, the the clarity and the definition of calling yourself a producer as opposed to just uh, I'm I'm kind of grappling for the right word there just yeah. like like a guitar player on the instrumentalist that clarity and the discernment between the two at which point were, were you um, done with that at which point did you realize okay I'm you know this is what I do I'm a producer I'm not just a guy who plays guitar or you know um, I think in the very beginning. Really? Um, like I said, I had, I had a hard time finding a band because I was in this very beachy, surfy, positive, upbeat music culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I would go to audition or start with people. And I was like, this is, I mean, I wasn't a great player myself, but I just was not connecting. Um, and how the band, how, how Trespassers started is I made, uh, I had an old Mac that I did MIDI sequencing on. Mm-hmm. and a four track and I would make beats and synth parts and arrange those all on the computer, bounce those down to one track and then play guitar parts on top of that. Um, very moody, gothy kind of industrial sounding stuff. Um, but that's, that's what I did. Cause I, I, I didn't just like sitting there, like I said, learning cover songs or, or riffing or, you know, I, I barely had any guitar lessons because the more traditional approach kind of, didn't interest me so i would just make these little compositions and it was a, a tape of those that actually got Annalyn's attention uh and i was basically looking for a singer to these kind of fully produced compositions i, I wish i had that tape i'm sure they're terrible but um it was sort of pivotal so yeah that's how that band started with me basically saying here's a sound here's a vibe you know who does this make sense with and uh you know with with and Elena helped my guitar style more because we played as like an acoustic duo. But that big vision of the sound was always kind of more critical to me. And my immediately got interested in guitar pedals and, and things like this because they helped create a feeling that I heard in my head as opposed to just playing. Mm. Um, maybe to the detriment of my technical ability even. But uh, yeah, it, it was always from the beginning. And while I was working at that studio... Um, I was learning the technical aspect of things, which is fun, but it's always been a means to an end to me. I've never been 
again, maybe to some technical detriment, that excited about, oh, the microphone one inch farther from here or closer makes that difference. Um, to me, it was more about the overall big picture. And the studio did a lot of Christian rock, which mm-hmm. is something I was not interested in. <laughs> but again, it was peripheral to where I was living. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would hear, hear my band's friends recording things and... I was like, you guys need to work with me because <laughs> it just sounded like rehearsal recordings. Or I, I just knew I could bring something better to it. Um, and that was already after an experience of, with Trespassers, you know, paying someone to produce our record and realizing after a lot of trial and error and money spent how, oh, the person behind the wheel in the studio is really critical because we were pretty unhappy with most of the results of that and had to redo a lot of it um, with our friends later. Uh, And again, spend a ton of money for a bunch of kids. Uh, So I realized, hmm, I I could probably do this. Beautiful. Where where did you you and Anlin meet? Um, At a coffee shop I worked at. Um, Yeah, my ex-girlfriend at the time knew I was looking for a singer and... uh, she introduced us, and I remember sitting in, I think it was her car, playing her the tape all nervously, and yeah, we had a couple of rehearsals. We wrote a song that ended up on our first record, on our first rehearsal, and that was that was how it started. Beautiful. Well, I'm a fan. <laughs> Thanks. Um, tell tell us more about the the workflow you got into in the very earlier parts of your producing career, were you working with Unlock from the very beginning or what was the technology you were looking at at the time? That was an interesting time because it was transitional. So I, I definitely learned uh, mostly on Pro Tools, you know, that was that was the default. Um, but it was new. There was no such thing as like a home Pro Tools recording that came out a couple of years later. Right. Uh, and then tape was, you know, we had a 24 track two inch machine at the studio. Um, but you know, I, I maybe spliced tape twice, you know, we, it was, it was even still the beginning to what's more common today. Like let's go record on tape for either the limitations of the format, you know, forcing you to get a good take or mm-hmm. the sonic quality and then finishing it in the computer. And, and at that time there was even ADATs involved and it was a mess of like just different formats kind of, combining um, a lot of people would track on two inch and then they would track on ADAT and then they'd mix it all in Pro Tools and digital mixing sounded terrible in the beginning. Yeah. yeah, Understanding like why tape and and, uh, consoles and and things had that sound is something that the technology's figured out pretty well at this point, but back then it was still still sort of an enigma. yeah, so I grew up and I kind of came about in, I'm glad I got my feet in both worlds, but it was definitely the advent of the current digital era um, with all its uh, accompanying learning curves and, and technological missteps. With your permission, I'm going to dig a little deeper into that. To start off, mm-hmm. what would you say is the biggest difference between mixing in the box back then, which you say wasn't wasn't really cutting it, and now, mm-hmm. what, what do you think ha- has happened along the way? And second, how do you feel about this huge s- set of skills you've accumulated, which you probably only get to use like on very rare occasions in today's mm-hmm. music industrial landscape? 
Yeah. Um, so yeah, the analog versus digital thing, especially in the beginning, um, a lot of the fundamental, just technical things that someone with a well-rounded um, analog background mm-hmm. um, didn't necessarily apply to the digital world, or if they did, it was hard to understand. So very basic things like game staging and um, you know, very fundamental stuff like that, that even people today still don't really quite get, you know, like you could have a great recording setup and still not know about phase or game staging or these very basic things. Yeah. Um, it, it, you, you just couldn't take the same skill set and flip it over to digital. And then there's just the basic limitations of the technology. I mean, the plugins were very basic and, um, the summing and the just the, the boring technical stuff wasn't quite there yet, um, and and it is today. So I really do believe it, it's it's a little harder to do it, you know, in your bedroom on a setup, but you absolutely can get the same results, um, and which is to me is very liberating. And that kind of goes to the second question you said, like, what about this massive skill set that you're sitting on? Um, yeah. And I've definitely have been in this business long enough to see you know, the Napster and the streaming and the, you know, cause uh-huh. when I started this, it was a reasonable thing to go like, Oh, we're going to make a CD and sell them at our shows and make the money back. <laughs> exactly. Um, like, Oh, we'll, we'll print up 200 CDs. We sell them for 20 bucks each. And then we'll re- recoup the cost of the recording. This was a, yeah, even even the time we even the time we met in Germany, I remember you were selling CDs and you were, you know, and it was a thing mm-hmm. you were, I remember buying one and, uh, it was actually yeah. a relevant topic. Sorry, I interrupted you there. Oh no, no, no! It's 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 true, and it's and bands still do sell them stuff live, and it's mostly like a souvenir at this point. No one right. even has the yeah, yeah. technology to play it back, even if they're buying vinyl or tapes or whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, I've seen and I've been been the grumbly person going to kids these days and music and. And I've come full circle to just be like, I think it's amazing that you can produce a record on your iPhone if you want to. I think the, the um, availability of information out there, like on YouTube or paid sites like Microsoft the Masters or Linda, or I think it's LinkedIn Learning now, but um, there's just a, there's so much great education out there and technology that if you want to learn how to do things on your own you have it's all there and even the cheapest gear sounds pretty great these days which has rendered a lot of at least uh superficially has rendered a lot of what i have trained for obsolete um with the exception that people do come back to me going hey you know what i bought logic i bought a nice mic and i'm tired of watching youtube videos can i just come over and sing (laughs) um uh and and that collaborative element as, as a producer, um, you know, you can learn how to use mics and stuff, but that collaborative element, I still get work that way where someone's like, I like your style. Here's my song. Let's talk about what we want it to sound like. Um, and whether I'm playing the instruments or hiring people, I'm still involved on that creative end, um, which is something that, you know, that you can't, the skill set, you can't replace that with the technology. I agree. Well, a couple of things. One, I genuinely can't imagining imagine you being the grumbly guy going kids these days. Um, <laughs> I, I have a hard time picturing you playing that role. And secondly, you th- here's a question. It's slightly mean, but you think with all the technology making it easy to record decent music, 
why aren't we hearing better music like on an average um in your see, opinion that's one of the in my opinion i feel like the why isn't it anymore question is always a matter of perspective and i feel like great music is rare no matter what the time and place and technology and ec economic distribution model anything i agree the problem is there's just so much music now to find the good stuff um it, it's it's become harder but it is a hundred percent out there oh um, yeah definitely just, i agree also doesn't so i feel like that's why we don't hear so much great stuff because you know the the benefit of the democratization of music is that it can be out there but there's a benefit to a gatekeeper saying hey listen to this record mm. um and we just don't have that anymore in the same way. Um, and, and there's a few genres, um, you know, the most relevant and like cutting edge hip hop stuff. Like, yeah, there's there's infrastructure around that. But for the lesser kind of uh, more niche genre stuff, there isn't the same sort of, uh, you know, uh, community around it like there used to be. And <clears throat> whatever your weird, you know, say you're into hardcore punk, you know, you would have venues and magazines and zines and there was an infrastructure around whatever genre you're in. If you're into avant-garde jazz, there would be, you know, there would be, be a way for you to go, what's the new thing I'm in, interested in? And it's, it's just, it's, there's so much noise. And I think that's the bigger problem. Um, <clears throat> and yeah. And then you can finish something and it, it's good. There's a lot of good stuff out there. And mm. I mean, I'm always interested in like what makes something great. And that's what I'm trying to do. Like, what makes this special? Um, Let's talk about that. What makes it special, man? What, where, what, what is exactly between the good and the special? What, what what's that space encompass? Right. <laughs> um, yeah, the answer to that. That's what I'm always looking to explore, um, and and hopefully I nail it. And I don't even know if I could put it into words, but uh, I, f I feel you. Yeah. Um, but you know it. You know it when you get there. You know it when you've. You know, I did a mix um, for this country guy last month, and uh, it was a song he was considering. Like, should it even go on the record? And, you know, he's kind of he had edited it, over edited it on his own time, kind of trying to find the secret spot. Mm. And I came in with fresh ears. You know, I had no I had idea how he felt about the song. I just heard the song and I thought it was great. And it was just one of those days. It just came together. It came together really fast. It had a great energy. I did some weird things that I, you know, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm going to put a phaser on this and make it like Waylon, and I'm going to make it sort of psychedelic country. And and he loved it, and I could see that look on his eyes. And, you know, I did a bunch of other mixes for that record, and I think they were all great as well, but there's something that set that one apart. And there's just no way of knowing why that happened that day and why that song um mm. if, if anything it's almost like the the slot machine of the creative process like you keep doing it because when you get that moment that aha moment it's it's makes all the kind of struggle and you know software updates with your computer and all the other things you have to tolerate uh worth it mm -hmm. yeah yeah i don't know i don't know what it is it's the thing <laughs> um well, well, if I if I may share a couple of experiences of my side of like the past five six years, I'm not sure exactly um, if 
um, you've been aware, but I've been living nomadically before 2020 hit, of mm. course. So I was, I was mm-hmm. stuck in this rut where I was living in um, this mid-sized town in the south of Germany, Mannheim, where we met the last time, which mm-hmm. um, had, had a charm and gave me like a very convenient infrastructure, which uh, meant I could be anywhere in the world in 24 hours, being that it is, you know, Europe's largest airport is half an hour away. Um, but mm-hmm. and, and I had this teaching gig, which keeps me here the whole time. Um, Germany is probably one of the very few countries where you still find a gig like that. Um, mm-hmm. I digress a lot, but I, I did realize at some point, well, I observed that the music I was making here in my studio, well, I have a couple which I share, um, was shit. And <laughs> I just, you know, you think, and, and I couldn't figure it out. It's like, you know, I've set it all up in a way where I feel like it should all work. You know, this is what I've been working on most of these past, well, pa- this past decade anyway. So mm-hmm. what's going on here? And um, over the years, one thing led to another. And, fa- and I found myself living and working between uh, four countries at some point. Uh, that's like a, a whole story on its own. And I started noticing that the stuff I was writing on my laptop at airports, on train rides, on buses, or traveling, had way more substance to it, whatever substance means. I know mm. it's, mm-hmm. it's a matter of objective. Um, it, it's, it's a subjective thing. Um, so I, I personally f- found my solution in doing all my writing, not being in my studio and making sure you know, it was completely away from my comfort zone, actually. And then making mm-hmm. sure that the the basic blueprint or the nucleus of the idea of the song I was working on was already finished before I came to the studio. And then when I come in, I just do the recording and, you know, do basically take over the role of the producer, engineer, whatever. Because I do everything on my own anyway. Mm-hmm. But yeah, one of the things I notice is... Um, and I, I straddle that very fine line between being artist and producer at, uh, at the same time, primarily because it's just budget reasons, really, mostly. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I'm trying to figure out what <laughs> to come to my point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's that, well, I guess I tend to come to tunnel vision when I'm actually caught in the process of making music. Um, mm-hmm. I tend to forget what, what the emotion of the song or the music originally was. I struggle to connect to that emotion, that original emotion, right. when I'm actually in the process of producing it. Uh, and I say this specifically because I remember us actually having a conversation about this the last time we met, about how, well, at least at the time, you would tell some of your singers to just go home and, I don't know, you know, lock themselves up in a cupboard or something and just record their vocalists. And you were referring to singers at the time. And then just bring them over because mm-hmm. your entire definition of what a vo- good vocal take was undergoing a sort of change. So... Um, you reckon there's some line of there's some parallel between all the stuff I just blabbered out and to <laughs> what you'd said back then about <laughs> sending singers back home to record the vocal takes in their closets? I mean, yeah, hundred percent. And 
and less specifically than like sending singers home, but it's definitely in my, in my earlier, more insecure days of being an engineer, I'd be like, Oh, I've got a $10,000 Neumann. This is how we've got to do it. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. And I've come, I've come full circle, but, and I, I do actually do a lot of sort of, um, I, folks will like call me up and be like, dude, I just bought all this gear. I'm trying to record. And I don't know you told me about phase and now all I think about is this in phase. And I'm like, exactly like that's, that's why the magic of writing, you know, especially in our digital age, being, being bored. That's why you said mentioned airport run true oh, with me. Yeah. Like yeah. when you're forced to be a little bored, creativity just barges its way in. But if you're doom scrolling about Trump or you're even sitting in front of your beautiful home studio with an <laughs> internet connection. Yeah. Yeah. Intimately familiar. You know, like yeah. I sit here, I look at these, I've got the, the nicest setup I've ever had. You know, it's just a bedroom in my place, but it's like I've built panels. I've got all these guitars. I don't do anything in here creatively. Oh, <laughs> I work so on other people's yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's all connected to the same thing where it's like when you're sitting in front of quote unquote the studio, all of a sudden your brain is thinking about your new waves plugin and a, th a thousand things decide what the feeling is about. And as I continue to try to be creative and, and figure out where I fit in in this changing kind of industry uh, is, is breaking all of those things down. So it is trying to be like, and, and that, that's the through line to like, maybe the singer needs to go home. Some singers love me sitting there producing them and that's great. Mm. But I just try to find out like, what is the thing? Does it mean, you know, I have a friend who, how he does his vocals is the speakers are on in the room blasting with a 57 in his face. He's hunched over and stoned out of his mind. That's mm. how he really sings. Amazing vocal takes. So what do I do? I just deal with the bleed. I don't care. Cause if, if I set him up in front of the microphone in the booth, he, he freezes up and it, it's, it sounds dialed in, but if he can, if the music's so loud that it's encompassing him, you know, enveloping him completely. And he's, he's tight, his body's tight and he's, he's in inside. That's where he is for that song. Yeah. And that's where the performance comes from. And so people are always asking me like, Oh, you know, should I get this or that? Or is this good? I'm like, but I, my mantra is if it sounds good, it is good. And whatever, whatever you can do to shake up that um, creativity for yourself whether it's writing in an airport for me, what I, I was, I was beating myself up going, I got, I got this cool analog synth. Why am, why am I not making more music? Mm. And uh, it was actually my therapist who helped me. He's like, well, you know, when you, you say when you're in the studio with people collaborating, it's, it's fun, it's natural, you feel inspired. So maybe that's what you need to do. And I was like, ah, aha. And that's when I knew I had to be in the band. <laughs> and mm. when I'm with my tons of fun, we're, we're, bouncing off ideas. I feel free. I feel creative. I feel that, that, that's what works for me. That's my, my, my place. Uh, hard relate. Hard and I hundred percent. Yeah. And I hundred percent, like I want to hire a producer when, uh, we're in the studio, at least when I'm playing. Cause I'm the kind of guy who does one take and that's the take, but then I'm like, eh, it's a little sloppy. I'm going to do it again. And, but if there's other people in the room, they're like, no dude, that's, that's great. There's like one bad note. We'll just edit that out or whatever. I know. Right? Um, I can so relate it. I made my debut on a, uh, as a drummer on the record this year. Well, last year, actually. It's oh, not cool. been released. It's just been recorded. And uh, uh, two points, one being the only, uh, well, most of the 
education I've had on drums has been uh, playing in student ensembles with my students uh, or, uh, you know, mm-hmm. comping them when they, uh, while teaching. Um, mm-hmm. Same as bass too, except, um, well, with slight differences in its roots. Because I actually did, well, my first uh, apprenticeship uh, was with uh, a drummer. Uh, when I was 16, mm-hmm. even though he was more of a hand drummer. Um, so um, I've always taught a little bit like a drummer, but, uh, you know, my main instrument was always piano and vocals and everything. Mm-hmm. Point being, though, I knew, though, because, uh, you know, with drums, there, drums is kind of like a different league of sacred in the world of production for me. It still is, because I feel like, and maybe I'm wrong, feel free to correct me, uh, actually very similar to singing, too, there's just no way I still don't find any way I don't think there's any way to fake a good drum take Um, oh 100% right yeah the two so the two things that I there's a lot of layers to this I don't know if it's like a white guy thing um, or just that I'm sort of I tend to get in my head a lot um, or if if it's just me as a person, I don't know what it is, but like there's the two most fundamental musical things that I respect are singing and drumming because they're so elemental and you don't need anything technically to do either of them. You can slap your knees and sing. Exactly. It's like tribal, it's primal, it's elemental. And I had a drum kit in my old studio and I would sit around and play it. And I learned how to get some independence on the hi-hat, do fills. You know, I learned how to technically play the drums Mm-hmm. but I have no groove, none. <laughs> and my friend, who'd never played the drums before, came over to the kit and just hit the snare. Crack, crack, crack. I'm like, you have more groove in you just figuring out what a snare drum is than I do, you know, like, and I could learn and I could get better, but that fundamental thing, I don't have that. So I've always respected that. And the same thing with singing, like, I'm, I cannot sing. Um, I mean, maybe like, like a Ringo Starr, Leonard Cohen thing if I practice really hard, mm-hmm. but like I'm not. And just, you know, like when I met Anna Lynn back in the day, there's just there's something elemental and, and special about those two, um, those two art forms that I think are so connected to the body that, uh, actually Brian Eno you know. talked about it because he's, you know, he's, he's saying, but he's never considered himself a singer, but he sings in a choir for fun in London. And mm-hmm. he just does it because he says it feels you know, amazing. And uh, as a producer, being the one who can't do those things, I've always had this very special admiration. Um, and, and to me, a sense of awe, you know. To start off, I don't think that's a white guy thing at all. Because if you think about it, <laughs> like you said, you know, play, banging a drum and singing a hard out is, is the most organic, natural connection human beings have had to music that's you know that is where music starts you know even a like the least trained person will do that at some point of his life even the person who you know Mm -hmm. um uh probably even if you know someone did grow up on an island with no one around him chances are he'd start doing that at some point he'd bang a drum or bang something he found and you know sing to it so um i'm totally with you on that um with singing, I feel you could get away with lack of technique through pure emotion. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, in some of my favorite singers um, are exactly the ones who embody that. You know, they don't, they don't really give a shit about the technique, but the emotion is just so pure and so deep that, you know, they hit you 
right from the front and uh, uh, first note. With drums, I've noticed that the tricky part is emotion on its own won't cut it, man. Um, yeah, you, you can bang that thing as hard as you want. Yeah. But <laughs> well said. <laughs> and it's true. Like you can you, you can get a singer who's just like a screaming sort of like avant-garde thing, and you yeah. still get the feeling. You know, yeah. like you get a message across. Yeah. Yeah. With no, it's true. Those things are very mysterious to me. I don't know. I just I've maybe it's me and not a white guy thing in general, but I just notice in the different kinds of musics from different cultures and like. Uh, maybe I'm just projecting, but at least for me, I think I I have a, and maybe that's something I'm going to explore later in life. But there's a there's a, there's a there's a part of me that intellectualizes things, and I think um, that can be helpful to a point. But especially if there are things that are so elemental, like singing or drumming, if you over intellectualize it, I think you're going to muck it up. Um, it's interesting you mentioned that. I'm actually studying drums now since this year after the whole COVID thing. I'm studying online with a gentleman called Phil Maturano, who's uh, from New York. He's actually a legend in his circles, mm-hmm. uh, but more jazz. Um, from um, um, And he has a, a system um, called Inner Clock, wherein he stresses on how rhythm um, actually has different energetic centers in your body. Uh, it's very similar, mm. uh, very similar. Well, actually, parallel to the whole, uh, you know, energy centers or chakra systems y- yogi traditions talk about, or ancient uh, pagan cultures talk about. And he actually refers to this on how you know some people from you know unnaturally um, more at home um, connecting to rhythm from an intellectual point of view. Others are um, will think more from their like literally from their gut. You'll see them move mm-hmm. differently you'll see them move their heart, uh, hips to the music first um or even certain cultures um um and and then there's the you know the, the, some will go with the heart and um, mm-hmm. i don't know how familiar you are with the whole chakra thing uh, and everything uh, but i um i actually found some very very um it really resonated with me it made a lot of sense for me personally to um, figure out a lot of uh, imbalances in my approach to music and rhythm in general uh, were really uh, ha- had a lot of light shed upon um, after st- studying um, the system. Um, I digress. The, mm, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and that makes me think too of like um, you know I've started meditating and you know. relatively regularly um i'd say you know between two and five times a week depending on how Mm -hmm. regular i am and and this focus on breath that you learn um i think applies to everything in life um you know from sex to music but uh so true especially how it applies to music i i'm a breath holder i like i'm i realize like my i'm bracing for something a lot of the time and so if i can stop bracing and breathe, my pocket it shows up. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. especially on the, on my my main instruments like guitar or something. And and when I watch my f- favorite rhythm pl- players that I know, either people personally or just from afar, 
they seem to be breathing like like Brian Blades, one of my favorite drummers. And oh, he's so yeah, relaxed, dude. You know, when you see five. him play, he's smiling, and dude, he's, I love that guy. Yeah, there just seems to be no disconnection between like this rigid drumming thing that I'm m- more used to. It's just like it's so just an extension of them, and like just watching him play is an inspiration for how to approach any instrument. You know, just like relaxed and one with it, and and obviously mm-hmm. that comes from many facets of why he's a great player but that is just one example of like the breathing thing and, and being connected to your body for for especially for instruments like very drums. true very true i was actually very fortunate to have had a teacher in my very in the earliest part of my career to stress on that very very um um intensely mm-hmm. he'd have his students stand in the middle of a room um, do a little bit of a dance and I'm not exaggerating like he's like if your body language is not in tune with the music you're not feeling the music well to be fair we, we used to um, we were studying Afro-Cuban music with him which you know has, you know, has mm-hmm. a very deep tradition in the whole dance of course the dance of it all so that's where he'd start and uh, the body language and the breathing so I was super it's only now in hindsight at 41 you realize how blessed I was to mm-hmm. start it off there you know at the time I was like yeah whatever oh, totally. you know? right it's uh, I think yeah I think we I, I was thinking of like a karate kid analogy like there needs to be more like waxing on and waxing off in music teaching and not just you know here's a chord here's how you play it but like like yeah like the teacher you had that's very fortunate cuz I think amen man I think I was when I was younger and I was like going out dancing to clubs in LA, you know, cause I was 21 and wanted to meet girls or whatever. I was dancing a lot. You know, I would go dancing once a week. I haven't been dancing in years. And I think there's like a direct connection to like, oh, how that would apply to my mu- music, you know, like okay. I feel like my groove and my, connection would be better if I went dancing once a week. FYI, I'm pretty sure I'd have traded places with you any time at 20. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, heart related, man. I can very much so. It's, it's, um, it's not addressed enough and I completely agree with you with the wax on, uh, wax off and dancing is mm-hmm. definitely um, very legit equivalent of the same. Um, and it's not directly connected, but like even similar, like when I produce a band, um, especially these days, because, you know, work slowed down tremendously. Um, and when I work with somebody, I try to hang out with them as much as possible before we're in the studio. I want to go to a rehearsal, but I also want to have a beer with you. I want to like get excited about some records. I want to like hopefully crack some jokes and like connect on a personal level because it's a and like you gave me the idea too. It's like almost like if I go in the studio again too, I'll be like, cool. All right, everyone ready to record? All right, put your instruments down. Let's have a twenty-minute dance party and then record. <laughs> like, how much better would that session probably be? Like, Beautiful. make a fool of yourself. Like, connect. Like, that would be a fun idea because I think, yeah, mm. you're not gonna be so tight and worried about this guy behind the glass if he if he just saw him flail his arms around around like an idiot and dance to the Outcast or something, you know. Oh yeah, man. That's actually the, like circling back to where I started off with. Um, that's actually the reason when I decided to play drums on the record for the first time in my life, I kind of recruited my uh, godbrother, who's actually a drummer himself. He's you know he's actually like really mm. good. He's been called one of the hottest drummers on the planet by Nitin Sani. Mm. Um, 
which was so in the beginning it was kind of embarrassing to tell them hey dude i want to play drums on the record will you record <laughs> me even though you're like yeah. who you are um but th- there was uh, a history of uh, trust there to know that it wouldn't be uh, as silly as a lot of others would have looked upon it as um and and that's how we hit it and we recorded in his um bedroom instead of going to the studio like a commercial studio mm-hmm. And so the recording has literally like the streets of uh, Calcutta on it, pretty loud. We mm. couldn't get the noise <laughs> out. Uh, but it's the only environment I could feel comfortable in. And I, I had, you got to realize, like the only drums I'd ever played before that was, you know, hanging out with my students twice a week. And right. uh, mm-hmm. this, this would have been the, f- this was literally the first time I was listening to myself play afterwards. And for all intents and purposes, I was kind of, part of me was prepared to just listen to the first take and go, okay, I got this all wrong. And this was the worst idea I've probably ever had in my life. Because, uh, <laughs> as you know, you, you cannot fake a good drum take. Uh, there's just no mm-hmm. way around it. And, you know, editing and quantizing kind of misses the whole point. I, I, I'm good at that, but it would be missing the whole yeah. point. So. Yeah, it's kind of... Uh, um, I feel like I digress again. Um, where were we at? What were we talking about before <laughs> Before I went off? And uh, we took quite a few tangents, but... Yeah. Um, I tend to do that. My apologies. No, no, it's great. I love just kind of taking those roads where they go. Oh, um, yeah. I remember. Here's a question. When you were touching upon mm-hmm. you know, the hang, the hang and yeah. the... the, the well, I'm, I'm looking forward the seamlessness of that hang being transported onto the music at the studio session. Mm -hmm. Now, that is something I've struggled with all my life, man, because I think part of it being Mm. uh, my work ethic has been very German for most of my life, because this is where I spent Mm -hmm. all my adult life, most of my adult life. I moved when I was 20, uh, went straight to music college where the whole, you know, it was an era of music education where the stress was on precision and discipline, mm-hmm. and you know that that very was what, German. <laughs> very German. I mean, it was it wasn't just uh, <laughs> very much so. And it was also I went to Ber- Berkeley's partner school, you know, and um, where it mm-hmm. was very all about you know it, it was well uh, super competitive to be honest. Without well, at least the most of the system was based on competition and precision and uh i noticed that in germany too there's almost like this american idolization of music where it was very competitive yeah which is so weird to me art yeah. you know <laughs> i know and so i've i've, I've been very bad at this because um what what's happened over the years is there's been a disconnect between my social persona and how i behave in the rehearsal room of the studio i just kind of um, and it's led to quite a few <laughs> unpleasant situations where the last one uh, being uh, uh, at the premiere of a theatre show where, um, you know, I got along extremely well with my colleagues and I thought we were really great. And then um, apparently in rehearsal, I would I, I triggered one of them off really badly because mm-hmm. I thought I was just doing my job well by just keeping quiet and you know looking out for all the cues and doing the best i can to do what i do but uh, that sudden transition into the super serious musician for uh, from the guy who was having a beer the night before was a lot to handle for a lot of people so yeah, yeah. share some wisdom man how do how do i work on this 
Um, and oh, also, I definitely noticed that living in Germany. Yeah. How were experiences there? I guess my question is a mix of both. Yeah. I've struggled there because um, it, it, it very much is like that in Germany. And, and it's interesting being an American living abroad, especially that so much of our popular music post-World War II has been American or British mm. genesis, you know, and and it's it's been hard for other countries and cultures to get any sort of traction mm. with this sort of cultural domination that America's had. So it sort of puts you, when you're from another culture, and, and you probably understand this better than I do because you're truly multicultural in the truest sense. Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. But, you, you know, it's like finding a voice that feels authentic. What what, vo- what language do you sing in? This is like a conversation you have to have as a non-English-speaking. Oh, so you, know, you know, and like what, what is it? Like my thoughts are in this language, but it doesn't feel right or this language isn't as poetic. And like, you know, what all these conversations you have to have when you're not an American or a British person making music that it adds this, it adds a layer of intellectualization. I think like, like I mentioned that can maybe be dangerous. Um, and just requires a little more discipline or just heart to push through. Um, and I noticed that in Germany and, and it was hard for me to find work there. I mean, that's part of, part of why I ended up back here. Um, you know, the, the, the bands I did work with and that I did enjoy were the rare ones were like, wow, your energy and your enthusiasm is weird because all the engineers here in Germany are just like, they sit there, they stare at you and they go, you ready? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they enjoyed that I had this sort of enthusiasm and sort of um, just casualness about working with them. Um, and and that's definitely, it's, it's true here in America, like it's more, it's more about that. And it's a, definitely, it's a cultural thing that comes naturally. And... Um, yeah, as far as advice or as far as like, like it's, there's this huge psychological component to any sort of collaborative art form. And that's, I think, one of the gifts I've had actually, you know, if it comes up to it's like a second era, I'm thinking of moving into that for my second career. Mm-hmm. Um, because the psychological component is huge. It's like reading somebody like, does this person want to have fun or do they want you to just like get to work? Does this person want you to joke around or do they want you to be serious? Like, is it changing? Like, is the mood going down? Do these people just need food in their belly? Mm. Um, is the guitarist getting really annoyed with the drummer suggesting how he plays his part? Um, being in tune with that stuff and being able to guide a rehearsal or a session or a performance sort of like, not like not like you're running it, but just being aware of those nuances and and going with them naturally. Well, just it, it it's been something that I've focused on just sort of by default since the beginning of doing this, um, and it's one of my assets. I feel like uh, you I know, agree. like I said, more than the tech, the technical or whatever, and so much so like the band, like I so I. The apartment I live in now is attached to actually one of Seattle's like biggest recording studios. I can see it out my window now. Wow. Uh, and occasionally I do work over there. And I was just hired to engineer um, this session. I ended up playing a bunch of instruments on it, co-producing, and now that's the band I'm in. So it's sort of almost to the detriment. It's like I, we bonded so much that she's like, you want to be in my band? I'm like, hell yes. Uh, and yeah, it's just I think I think it's just all... 
all of the, you know, this is where it gets more, more metaphysical, but all your, and it, this goes back to what we were talking earlier too, is all you're doing when you record music is capturing a feeling. That, that's it. And if that feeling is tense or distracted or nervous, that's what's going to come through. And that's maybe what the difference between the great and the good is. Like if you can cut through the bullshit and translate that emotion effectively and, and then you've won and the microphone doesn't matter and the guitar sound doesn't matter. I mean, all that stuff matters, but it doesn't matter too. You know, you listen. And so, yeah, I think it's just, that's how I, that's one of the tools I use to try to cut through the bullshit and, and capture that feeling is, is trying to disarm people and being like, this is a safe place. You can express yourself. You can trust me. Um, you know, I'm going, you can trust that not only will I, run the tape machine or whatever, but I will keep an eye on your mood and make sure, do you need a cookie? <laughs> do you need, do we need to we'll go walk around the block and get a coffee? Like those are just as important um, in my experience. And, and I end up becoming friends with so many of the people I work with to the, you know, even to my detriment, I'm like, Oh, should I give them a discount? You know, I'm always discounting because you, you, you bond so much with these people. And yeah, I think that's, I think that's what it's about at the end of the day and that's just yeah that's one of the tools I use um how do you compare that to the European well let's say German model of efficiency being the key to making uh, a successful record yeah it's just it's just, it's just that if if you're dogmatic about the efficiency it can get in the way and this the I had was very lucky when I was in Hanover to sort of that access to this amazing studio, um, sort of free reign, really. Um, and I set up a, a little production studio there and then tried to bring in work for the studio. And the, the owner was very generous and a very sweet guy, but we had a um, philosophical difference where I, I said, hey, you know, you got this amazing location. I'm pretty sure, you know, Canover isn't the coolest city in Germany, but there's a great music school here. It's pretty central. Like, you could make this place work but you need to change all these things. And all the things were about the workflow of the console is very confusing. Um, mm -hmm. I'm used to America where it's like, everything's labeled a certain way. This is in, this is out. There's nail clippers right there. There's a coffee maker. And he was like, no, no, it, it makes sense. All you have to understand is you pull up this screen and you pull that <laughs> and you patch this into this thing. I'm like, yeah, it makes sense to you, but you need, you need to get people off the street and like all this outdated gear, like, you don't need any of this. Like you need to sell all this and like get just a few things that, you know, people are like a few pieces of gear that everyone knows how to use. And, and you need to have a working coffee maker. Like mm. I even had a guy here in America who had that. It's like, it's just these basic things. Like you don't need to have to go around the block or get in the car and go to Starbucks when you want a coffee in the studio. Like it just needs to work. And he was like, no, no, but it's very efficient. And you know, <laughs> this works and that works. And, and, and he, we just, he, we could not see eye to eye because in his brain it was very logical. It all worked very simply. And I was like, this is the most, I've worked, worked on like dozens of consoles and I still don't understand the routing on this thing. Uh, and yeah, I think, I think when you're dogmatic about it like that, that can get in the way as opposed to going the same way where like, if you're too casual about it, if someone's sitting around waiting for you to like get a headphone queue up for an hour, you're going to lose the vibe, you know, mm -hmm. that's just as detrimental as to, um, Oh, that was a good take, but let's redo it. Let me get a better microphone on you. Like, like that Jesus. doesn't matter. Like yeah. I've, I've 
sacrificed many things where I'm like, oh shit, I compressed that weight. I did not even check what I was doing. And that thing is just blocked. There's no dynamics, but that's the take. And I will live with it. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I, I made a mistake once where I had two mics up in a room. One was the room mic for the guitar, which I never use anyways. And one was just like a close, I did the close mic recording. That was the amazing guitar solo. That's the sound. It's just got a little bit of a room sound on it. As opposed to like, I think if you force someone to get it technically right because you have the wrong mic, you're going to lose that vibe if you had some inspired solo. Um, yeah, and I think it's just, I, I think it's more globally definitely like a German thing. Um, but there's yeah. definitely people I've worked with here in America who have that same tech, technical uh, sort of uh, tunnel vision that can um, get in the way. I feel like um, in IMHO, it, boy, it really boils down to at the end of the day is control issues. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, which basically yeah. ends up in people trying to overcompensate it by their idea of technical efficiency, which doesn't really work in the arts. No. And and I think having a, a strong sense of humility, it's, you have to have I think if you're doing anything creative, one of the best skills you can learn is how to handle rejection um, because yeah. it's going to happen all the You know, it's harder for me, like when I have a client, a mixed client who say in another country and I send them the mix and I get the notes back and they're kind of like, yeah, it's fine. Turn the bass up or whatever. Like my, my heart sinks, you know, I'm like my, my ego's hurt. Um, but you have to learn how to like, handle that and and in person if you can be in the studio it's e- it's easier in person but if you can be in the studio and and you're trying to get something done and you can just step away and say hey i'm not the right guitar player for this and maybe the maybe the drummer is an amazing guitar player and just chomping at the bit waiting for you to step away because you keep wasting studio time like that can be very beneficial is setting that ego aside and knowing like you are good at what you do but maybe sometimes you're not the right person for the job. And if you can step down, I think that can serve the art a lot. Um, and that's a lot easier said than done, obviously. Oh, yeah. I, I can, yeah, easier said than done. I can relate to that. But here's a question. Um, you're, that, that open-minded, almost laid-back attitude towards rejection and towards that scenario, which you just described, have you ever found yourself having that interpreted as some form of flippancy? Um, if it has been, I was not informed of it. Okay. Um, and, and maybe, yeah, maybe just those people who want a little more of an authoritarian sort of confident figure in the studio probably didn't get past the first coffee or interview with me. Um, gotcha. Definitely there's that German thing. Like there's a band who I was friends with everybody in the band um, in ha- in Hamburg, and we had a meeting. And I'm like, yeah, let's just make it, let's have fun. Like, we can go to a fancy studio. We can, we can record it at home. Like, whatever. I just want to know what like feels good for you guys. And I, they were looking at me like I was fucking insane. <laughs> they're like, really? They're like, what are you talking about? Yeah. And they just like, I, I ended up hearing the record they made, and it, it was great for what you know. It was a good. I, we we weren't a good match stylistically anyway, so it worked out. Um, but, you know, they just went to, you know, a nice studio, recorded in one day and did it. And it's like punk band and it's done. But I, I came in with all these sort of, you know, West Coast, California, 
hey guys, let's hang out and have a beer attitude. And they were just like, no. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's crazy. Uh, it's been 20 years since I've primarily been based in Germany and I haven't, uh, I don't think I've ever played on a German record. I'm signed to a label in California, funny enough. Mm-hmm. Um, not much, not 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 for uh, for much long though, because they're closing this year, COVID and all that. And all the musicians yeah. I've worked with here, none of I haven't even been uh, working in Germany per se. The only thing I really do is teach, and it's been interesting. Uh, it's it's you know I'm gonna go with it's me, it's not you, as in them, because mm-hmm. it's we we just not a fit. Um, it's never really been uh, a fit. It's always been a very hybrid existence. I've lived here. Um, anyways, um, but what's interesting is um, I, I find myself now at a point where, um, how do I say this without sounding like a complete dick? Um, um, <laughs> that sounds like my internal <laughs> thought all the time. <laughs> oh, that's reassuring. Um, it's, I guess, it's kind of related to the question I asked you I here's the thing I don't um, I feel like Germany's still catching up to l- learning to see vulnerability as a strength and not a weakness in this, mm. this is one major experience I've made uh, in my career most of, most of my career spent here and um, um, well it's you know it, it's been overused, the word vulnerability, and we are at a point where it's, you know, I don't even know if it's a word I want to keep using for much longer, but for lack mm-hmm. of a better word, just to get the energy across of what I'm trying to get at, just reminding ourselves to uh, make music from a place of openness and uh, true uh, humbleness uh, in, in tribute to the fact that it's way bigger than us more a little bigger than our psychological selves too um i f- i really feel a lack of understanding for that um, mm-hmm. connection and in instances where an effort is made to do the same it ends up being too intellectual interesting um i wouldn't want to pinpoint it to germany at, per se i think it's uh, a grapple we all are faced with um, in human form, um, mm-hmm. but the way it manifests itself and is felt as strongly in Germany is it's pretty uh, hard to miss. IMHO. Yeah, and I I think that plays into what we were talking about a little earlier about kind of the dominance of American or British music and. and in popular culture and is if you are from somewhere else, there's this underdog thing where you do have to sort of like prove yourself. Um, And I I, I definitely felt that in other places where I don't feel it now that I'm back here. And, and what's interesting is I feel like, you know, Germany, I mean, especially when you go back like way back, like it has a history of rich history of the arts and, and music and, especially when, when you get classical, um, but even as recent as like the Krautrock movement from the seventies, which I adore, but there's when, it, when it's, yeah, or like if, if you focus on Krautrock, for example, that was a very original and very German voice that came out. Um, 
And may I ask you? I'm, I've I always did, been very curious about why. Why would you? Uh, may I request you to elaborate on that? Why do you think it was an original and authentic form? Um, well, just stylistically, nothing like that had happened before. Um, you know, the Germans took probably because of the technical, intellectual sort of um, mindset in Germany. The Germans took very quickly to the new, like electronic technologies and the synthesizers, and 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 I don't know why they. I mean that a lot of the technologies were invented there, but they embraced them wholeheartedly and kind of in this post-war vacuum. And I don't know why it took till the '70s, but it happened. You know, this this sort of you know this sort of new sound came out that it has continued to be pretty influential um, across many genres. And, and it, I think it just spoke a very German thing where they weren't trying to copy American blues. So they weren't trying to copy British rock. Um, and it, it was, it was at times very serious or, you know, it was also very playful. There's like, you know, there's like the pocket computer song or calculator song from Kraftwerk. There's some like funny stuff mm. and also very serious stuff and moving stuff. And, and, um, even can is very playful. And I don't know. It was just, it was an interesting era of music that kind of, you know, like, and I think it's probably because Germany was a cheap place to live. Probably a ton of socioeconomic reasons why, but it's, it's, you look at something like that where a singular voice has been created and then if you're like, but if you're a German band and you're trying to compete with American rock music and you're taking your cues from other places, it seems like you're just copying or just kind of, yeah, I mean, that's the harsh way to say it, but it feels like copying. And, and again, you might have a lot to say to this too, having kind of a really kind of wide view of different, musical landscapes and cultures. Um, but just finding an authentic voice in that sort of commercialized music world can lead to a lot of just not that interesting music. Like, um, I completely agree with you. In fact, I'm friends and have been for, for a short period of my life, I've been mentored by a gentleman called Udo Dahman, shout out if he's listening, if he ever does, mm-hmm. who also happens to be the vice uh, president of the National Music Council and was uh, part of the crowd rock movement himself and uh, he's the director of the uni I went to um, uh, one, one of the unis I went to and it's one of the first things he said that you know we Germans we're, we're fantastic at lining up for a queue that already exists instead of just forming our own queue instead and that's that's mm-hmm. it's it's one of, it's been one of his agendas through his teaching to kind of establish a different approach to that Um it's uh I, I very much agree i remember having a conversation with you regarding this too about i still don't wrap around wrap my head around why most german singer songwriters sing in english even though they don't they're mm-hmm. not necessarily in the position to have a comfortable conversation in the same language um right and I, that's not that's not so much a critique on their English skills as much as it is a question a, a genuine questioning on why aren't they lang- why aren't they writing in the language they actually feel and think in except for Schlager or something you know which is yeah yeah, yeah. It's just, uh, well I'm definitely not qualified to comment on that <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> let's just say yeah. um, me either <laughs> 
how were your experiences? Uh, and also at this point, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but your partner, your girlfriend's German too, right? Uh, well, ex-partner, yeah. Ex- but, okay, so. my apologies. No, it's fine. She's a wonderful person and, and a great artist as well. Yes, I remember. But I had those conversations with her as, as far as like, yeah, like a lot of it for her was she would, you know, I want to speak too much for her, but uh, from her and other folks, I heard that, you know, you grow up listening to pop music, so you're going to hear American and British music mostly. Yeah. And when you sit, when you sing in, in German, it doesn't feel right because it's not what you're used to hearing because pop music, uh, you know, the umbrella term pop music is an English art form. So it just makes uh-huh. more sense. That's just, and, and that was just at least one perspective I heard that made sense to me. You know, it's like if you grew up listening to the Beatles, you know, you're going to, you know, it's the same reason some people fake an accent when they sing or not. So many British musicians sing in American accents and no one yeah. gives them a hard time about it. Yeah. It's, but it's accepted as okay. Um, and then when a British band, like, I don't know, say Blur or someone sings with a very, very obvious British accent, it's like a thing. It's like, oh. Um, so it, it doesn't just apply to Germans. I think it applies to, the, again, it's that sort of cultural imperialism thing that's happened. Um, and, uh, and I think I would understand that as well. And it's because... Yeah, like one of the bands I recorded in Germany, they their influences were Wilco and the band and and Eric Clapton and you know classic kind of guitar music and all of that is, is essentially American or British music. So if that's what you grew up listening to, loving, you're going to sing in English with an American accent. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and yeah, and I don't know. It's interesting, like having lived in Germany briefly and and being back in America, it's I think it is also really tied to like political, social stuff because America's a, a hot mess, <laughs> especially right now. I mean, it's it's crazy, it's messed up, it's confusing, it's 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 tragic, it's 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 on fire all the time, and that's where the music comes from. Yeah, and Germany, Germany's doing it right i mean you live in, there's something kind of nice about how boring it is in a way because <laughs> yeah. you don't have to talk about politics that much you don't have to worry if your health care is getting taken away by, by the next president like it's pretty i mean you got the afd and you got all that bullshit but it's it's relatively minor compared to what's happening in america where it feels like from one day that the next you know, and especially as a as a black person here, it's like all of our music has come from African American culture and been appropriated. I mean, from rock and roll to all the important music now is all black music. You know, and I think it comes from that. And Thanks for addressing that. Uniquely American places. Yeah, and I think it comes from that uniquely American place of struggle, and 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 Germany just doesn't have that you know and that's why the 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 krautwerk thing worked because it was sort of intellectual sort of playful it like fit the german aesthetic whereas if you're trying to emulate this american you know like what does somebody from dusseldorf have in common with uh you know uh i mean we have a lot in common but from some poor black kid from like a suburb in atlanta or something it's just very different you know when you're appropriating stuff that you don't feel firsthand just because you like it aesthetically or because it's cool 
yeah, I'm taking a lot of tangents there, but it's not at all. Not at all. That's a big, that's no. a big topic, you know, especially. But it's, it's definitely that feeling from that um, that you know, as long as America is such a crazy place, I think a lot of great art's going to come from here, and then people are going to want to emulate it. But ultimately, it's more interesting if you don't. If you can admire, even like with hip hop, like I love hip hop, but I still feel like a tourist. Even as an American, I'm still a white guy. Even, even though I'm not rich, I'm from a different world. So I appreciate it almost like a tourist. Like I listen to it, I go, wow. You know, listen to Kendrick Lamar or something. Like this is important. But I still feel a little bit on the outside. You know, I'm not, it's not speaking to me directly. And so I would feel weird trying to copy that or be part of that. Yeah. And I think that line is sometimes. Um, one uh, we're not the best at identifying at times in Germany mm-hmm. from my experience by the way I really appreciate the way you just expressed your thoughts and what you just did it was very articulate and I, um, I think mm-hmm. a lot of Thanks. people need to tune into that vein of thought so funny um, who's that is it Gary Clark who's a guitar player who, yeah Gary Clark Jr's new record have you heard it or like it's a couple years old now no um, he's a good guitar player and he fused some hip-hop with it. it there's this video with like kkk thing and it's like really intense um and then some of the comments are like well, why is this black guy playing a white guy's instrument huh. <laughs> and it's just so funny because it's like rock and roll it does not exist without chuck berry or bo diddley like even but like young black kids in america don't even get that connection sometimes and uh wow. yeah it's just, it, it's I mean, what about Jimi Hendrix? Like, I mean, think about the electric guitar. It's like, it's, these voices have been, yeah, African-American since the beginning. And, and, you know, I don't, I don't know how to honor that in, in a way that I can just like, without appropriating it, I, especially with music, it's so personal. So if you, if it speaks to you, I think it cuts across yes. racial and cultural things. Like if you, if you're passionate about a certain cuisine, but you're not of that culture, but you, it, it's your soul food, then I, I think you should also be allowed to, to cook it, for example. But um, at least being thoughtful of it or, or aware of it is, um, is yeah. really important. I think I tend to agree with you on that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, like, I would feel weird playing the blues, but there's been generations of like white blues players now, but... Yeah, I mean, Eric Clapton I don't know. Is, 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 you know, is one of the first names that come to mind. Even though I do have my reservations on, on some of the things I hear about him having said. But, um, yeah, um, personally, but I'm, I'm also yeah. not necessarily an, ex, an expert on exactly what, what, what that signifies. And, I mean, if the guy went on tour with B.B. King, uh, I can't not mm-hmm. respect him either, you know. So, uh, yeah. Um, this, yeah, but speak. It speaks to you, but... Exactly. Exactly. Very true. I mean, uh, it's... um, I mean, it's it's strange. It's only been a few years that I've consciously realized that this actually counts uh, in music. You know, even five years back, I'd I'd have probably said, whoever, whatever, man, who cares? You know, music is universal language. Mm -hmm. And me, and I'm POC, but I'm still... I'm at a point where even I need to watch out what I say, so... I can only, only mm. imagine how tricky it gets for you at times, um, and yeah. I and, and I say that from a, a space of appreciation because 
I really, um, yeah, I, I, I'm very thankful for the sincerity you show in the way you express your thoughts in this matter. Um, Thanks. Yeah, man. Uh, thank you. Um, tell us how's it, how it's been uh, after, how long has it been since you uh, moved back to the States? It's been about, about two and a half years. How's it going, um, man? Uh, it's, it's, it's been a lot. Like, like you, when I was in Germany, most of my clients were not German. <laughs> I was recording yeah. bands from France and Spain and Seattle and yeah. uh, it Thailand. dried up. And, Thailand, and, remember. Yeah, from exactly. Thailand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, So I, I, and I didn't have the luxury short of like a lot of massive life changes of just like, like getting a job, like a side job in Germany. So I, I decided to come back. And um, yeah, it's it's different. Uh, I didn't know I'd be able to be back in Seattle, but I got really lucky with um, a lot of things circumstantially. Um, and Seattle's gentrifying really hard. Uh, you know, it's such a tech capital, but there's still a good creative scene here. But there's, you know, I'm uh, 43 now, and uh, the, like like I said, the music I've seen so many changes in the industry and. Uh, you know, this isn't my only source of in- income anymore. I I have to, I have a side job now, uh, yeah. for the first time in, in about twenty years, and and I'm okay with that. Um, but it's a change, and it's it's uh, took took a little beating to the ego, but I'm good with it now. I hear you. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's it's like I said, people have the means to do stuff on their own. Um, just generationally, the you and I are outliers that, you know, once you get to be this age, you have to make a very conscious decision to keep actively pursuing music because everyone's in a band when they're 22. Mm. Um, but, you know, I'm not married. I don't have kids. Uh, it's, I don't own a house. You know, these, these more normal trappings of people my age, mm. I don't, I'm not held back by that. So I still get to, in you know, and I, I made a conscious decision to do those things because of the kind of lifestyle I want to live. Yeah. Uh, and, and yeah, it's, it's been hard. It's been hard to be, to be perfectly fair. Uh, and then with the pandemic and all that, it's not, <laughs> it's not helping. Mm. Uh, and, and like I said a little earlier, like I've, I've been considering like, do I want to continue to make this, I'll always make music, whether it's my main job or a side job or just for fun. Um, I will always do it, but I've, you know, you get to be 40 or, you know, middle-aged and you go, okay, what, what do the next 10 years look like becomes a, a lot bigger of a question because you have health and savings and, and money and these things become a little more to the forefront. Uh, yeah. So I've thought of actually going back to school for psychology, um, and that's kind of where I'm at now. You know, I have a great setup. I have a, I live at a recording studio. I have my own mixing and overdub room. The apartment next to me has been converted into like a production studio. So I basically live on site to a full, you know, cornucopia of recording delights. Um, I'm in a great band. I really enjoy the people I play with and they, they, seem to get what I'm good at. Like you talked about earlier on, like I'm not the shredder and the guy making weird guitar loops. And, um, it's, it's a very comfortable place to be, but there's a little just like, I don't know, do I want to be doing this as my main job? Um, and the odds of it changing financially to be more, more lucrative than it's been, it's been pretty steady my whole career. I've been 
basically essentially lost money every year I've done this because mm-hmm. I've made the same amount of money. But if you adjust it for inflation over about 20 years, I've, I'm, I'm starting to lose money at this point. So, yeah, I think I'm making a decision to find the place for music where it's purely out of a place of like hell yes or no and for joy. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if that changes, if some record pops or something comes out of the blue, you know, I'm, I'm open to that. But I've, I've got, um, especially with, uh, you know, I split up with my, my German girlfriend and moved back here. And a lot of personal growth and kind of hibernating over the last couple of years of like, who am I? What do I want to do moving forward? Because um, especially if you're making like those last few years in Germany, when you're making music from a stressed out place or a, a disconnected place, um, it all comes back to that you're you just you're just translating energy and if your energy is aggravated or worn down it it's going to come through in your work and and i think that's what was happening uh so for the work i'm doing now i am a lot happier and and i look forward to coming into this room and opening up the computer and like mixing and uh especially i love collaborating and producing and i love mixing but i don't actually like engineering that much anymore just sticking mics up and hitting record has kind of lost its luster for me mm-hmm. um so trying to pick those projects where i get to be more, more creatively involved um those are the more rewarding ones and i produced a record last year for this uh, girl girl erin um she goes on the name folly and it was just a really really synergistic like beautiful connection and those are the things i'm going to keep looking for and trying to to foster uh, moving forward. Beautiful, man. I got two pence in what I'd like to put in, if I may. Um, sure, mm-hmm. you know, hitting your 40s is a very specific phase of your life, even in this day and age where, you know, 40-year-olds look like 30-year-olds or even 20-year-olds at some point. Yeah. And personally, mm-hmm. I looked like 50 when I was 20. <laughs> but, uh, but that you know ageism aside though it's it's very interesting how many of my very esteemed and well-respected colleagues i've been speaking to with this regard and how many of us are changing the entire paradigm of what it means to be a professional musician anymore um right and one i think there there is no reason to feel any sort of guilt or shame uh to have sources of income that don't fit into the traditional paradigm of what a professional musician is supposed to do in a day and age where, you know, Spotify is what defines your success. Mm -hmm. With all due respect, I mean, you know, it is what it is, but, you know, that's what it's boiled down to. Uh, Your streams and your follows and your likes, which is very little to do with the actual quality of your music. Um, And secondly, also... Uh, you know, some of these people, they're, they're way younger than uh, us. They're not, you know, they just, they've just hit their 30s. But they also uh, talk often about how that whole thing about, you know, playing a gig and coming off stage and some, you know, I don't know, people coming on up to you and saying, oh, that was awesome. You know, it, for some reason, on a collective level, that seems to have lost its meaning. It doesn't mean hmm. what it did 20 years back. And I'd be lying if I said, I know why I'm processing, I'm just figuring mm. it out. But uh, I, I used to think it's because, uh, you know, it's, it's the age thing. But, you know, some of these musicians I'm talking to are in, you know, in the late 20s, early 30s. And it's like, man, you know, 
whatever, you know, it's, it's great to play a gig. On the other hand, the, the, the actual energy of playing uh, for people in person, whatever scale it's on, that's being re-respected in a new manner, I think, especially after the pandemic. But, oh, yeah. but that whole, yeah, I'm on the road and it's sexy. No, it's not sexy anymore. And <laughs> I don't know why. It, it just isn't. It's, it's lost its sex appeal. <laughs> Well, I, I think I think pers- I know I know partially why, and I think it's sort of the nice thing about being middle aged and and having been through a few transitions. Like, there was a mythology of the the rock star, and 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 I say that across all genres of music, you know, like yeah. whatever genre you're in, there's this mythology of like you can be famous like a movie star. And to be honest, like chefs are more famous than most band people these days. Like the culture has just shifted. <laughs> There's true. more cooking shows about rock star chefs with sleeve tattoos than there is about, um, you know, guitar players, or, for example. And, and music has gone from the sort of album and the sort of cult of personality where like Led Zeppelin can fly their own private jet around to, you know, like one producer and a singer in a bedroom on an iPhone. And, yeah because they have the most interesting things to say. And, and the younger people are growing up in an age where they're not expecting the Jets or the cult of personality as much, you know? Um, they know, it, it, and they've adopted the, you know, they know they have to be video producers and Instagram posters and, and all the other things that go with it. And, and it's, yeah, it's just, a, it's a different paradigm and, and you can feel it shifting. Um, you know, and part of me laments it and says it's a little sad. Um, and then a part yeah. of me says, well, that's just the new thing. And to be honest, if, if I got, if I really understood like what the 18 year olds are making, then they're doing something wrong. You know, I should hear it and go, that's not music. <laughs> mm-hmm. Cause that's, that means they're doing something new. That means they're doing something, um, that makes sense for the new generation. So it's, I, I, I enjoy sort of being on that edge of, you know, sort of mourning the dream that I was sold, mm-hmm. um, but also being glad I got a little piece of it. You know, I, I, I did get to do that. I got to be on a record label. I got to go tour. I got to experience that. Um, and yeah, and it's, it's like, why would, it, why would a young, like, what's the appeal of getting on stage these days for someone who's making music? It, it doesn't, it's probably a different experience, you know, than doing a live stream or I don't know. It's just, it's, it's changing and it's okay that I'm not part of it. Uh, but it does make me sad in a way as well. But that's a, that's also okay. Like it doesn't need to stay the same. I think either way, like live music will always maintain some degree of um, its power, but it will change too. Like it's going to sh- shift a little bit. I think I grew up in an era of like we're all want to be rock stars, throwing our you know doing our best to be the next thing. Um, and maybe in the future it'll move to a little more just for the joy of doing it because exactly. that potential reward is not is not there anymore, you know. Yeah. And and that could be a net benefit too. Just that, that means the people out there playing are just really doing it for the pure love, and that's that'll translate and that'll mean a lot to the people hearing it. That's the silver lining yeah. I'm hoping to take away from it all. That's the that's the silver lining I'm looking at because I also notice musicians who are, wouldn't necessarily have taught capable of have started talking about music as medicine and uh, mm. uh, which uh, for me uh, from an ancestral point of view really you know has been something I grew up with but I completely agree with you uh, with what you just said 
I would, however, be doing a disservice to anyone listening to this by not sharing uh, an additional perspective from my side ancestrally as well, uh, which struggles with it slightly because music has always been something that's been told to transcend time and trends. That's where I Mm. kind of Mm -hmm. look at it from. Um, The the cultural aspects of it are definitely influenced 100% by what you just referred to. But I guess what we're... what this goes to prove all the more is we're at a point where we're also really re-examining our perspectives on what music even means and mm-hmm. violently confronted by the fact that, you know, we are surprisingly, surprisingly ignorant, possibly, potentially ignorant of uh, any <laughs> meaningful conclusion with regards to the same. Uh, my turn depends anyway, in a lot of ways, on, on, a, uh, on a collective scale, I think we are far from really having figured out what music, how powerful it is, how meaningful it's been the whole time. And, um, well, at least I hope so. That's okay. I lost myself in my own words there. Oh, no. And I, I was going to say, I, I, I'm glad you brought that up because I think our generation came of age in this, um, you know, this popular music paradigm um, that was really it's it's been a short-lived and relatively new idea you know back in the day like you said music is healing as a spiritual thing um moving forward to like how people who used to listen to popular music was you bought the sheet music and you gathered around the piano and then you know the recording technology came and then even chuck berry was like this rock and roll music is not high art even though he's the godfather of all of it um he said that i don't know and then yep Oh yeah, he was he was very dismissive of a lot of his praise. He was just like, "This is oh. just, you know," um, when he's obviously regarded as so important. Um, and then you know you have the the it all changed the album, the recording, and all these other micro nuances that we kind of got into a little bit. Um, all kind of under this, you have media and you have capitalism that has influenced all of that and and made these decisions and even influenced like. The, the cultural differences and stuff and and going back even farther like you said like there there's always a through line regardless of the little micro shifts in culture and music will always be there um and amazing and what it means is going through a shift that you mentioned and if it is trending in towards that shift of of less commercial but more meaningful i i wholeheartedly embrace it that would be exciting um I mean, the personal music I've made, I've never had intentions of it being commercial. Like, I I make it as, like, a meditation for myself, basically. And if I feel like it's reasonable enough, I'll put it out there to share, but um, never expect any remuneration or anything. And and the idea of getting together, like, that collaborative, uh, it's so, you know, that's that's why you pay seven euros for a beer when you're at a show, whatever it is. You're you're paying for that sort of collaborative... um, sort of healing experience and if if it moves out of that commercial world like oh that would be great (laughs) yeah amen to that brother um you'd be surprised to hear uh, personally i ended up doing like a uh, getting a certification as a psychotherapist this year 
Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> And, and a per- I know, right? And and mm-hmm. also uh, as, a, as a personal trainer, because yeah, I'm XOBs, mm-hmm. and it's been a strange journey from my part. Like, uh, you know, uh, most people thought I wouldn't even make it to 40 when I was 21. I was 110 kilos, couldn't climb up a flight of stairs without panting. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's it's a, a very um, steep edge I uh, managed to get back from, and uh, the, uh, the the wish, the need. Um, to help people with some of the tools I learned along the way it was a very organic one. So before I knew it, it just kind of happened. And this was way before any uh, signs of a pandemic happening had started. And it's interesting how, uh, one, it's added to my relationship to music uh, as a practitioner, mm-hmm. uh, but also how it's uh, changed my entire perspective on how it's meant to be used to connect and heal people i don't i don't really practice psychotherapy as such uh, well not yet anyway i don't have mm-hmm. clients and i don't necessarily have explicit uh, intentions of doing so either uh, i had psychology as a uh, as a subject in um, in university it was part of my liberal arts program and kind of naturally progressed onto that working as a personal trainer there is something i do uh, do with a very select uh, kind of uh, uh, clientele mostly musicians and mm-hmm. artists because uh, I feel like there's mm. been this huge divide between athletes and musicians which uh, is a pity because there are actually a lot a lot of parallels between the life of an athlete and a musician which have gone on uh, mm-hmm. unaddressed for most of our time they, they uh, they've been portrayed as being people from separate camps which is not necessarily the case uh, you know I mean you would know yeah. musicians uh, you know um, they're actually they're kind of athletes in their own way. Uh, you know, you travel around the world carrying logging equipment. Well, I don't know if that's mm. going to happen anytime soon. But uh, again, uh, but uh, yeah. Uh, being, I, I don't see... Especially like horn players or... Oh, yeah. yeah. There's, like, there's a physicality there. Like Definitely. You have to, you know... I'm a gym rat, I practice martial arts, uh, I'm a yogi, but my worst injuries have come from playing piano. <laughs> I believe it. Yeah. Uh, so I have so many, well, you get in that creative space and you find yourself hunched over in a weird posture for hours. Oh, and then, yeah. Okay. You know, yeah. Or your wrist is messed up. and Definitely. Yeah, and I, I can um, safely tell you as a certified personal trainer, oh, wow, that sounded so high-handed. That's actually more, <laughs> more injurious to your physical health than it is to go, I don't know, play around a ball or something. Exactly. It's, it's like yeah. slow poisoning. But, um, yeah, I mean, we, we, we learn from these experiences, right? So um, mm-hmm. I think the point I was trying to make uh, was the lines between all of this, they're just getting blurrier and blurrier by the minute. Yeah, I mean, all disciplines, I feel like as humans, we're all just trying to express ourselves and, and, and connect. And so many of the things we do are just vehicles to do that. And even like one of the earlier questions you asked me, like, when did you realize you're kind of more of the producer than the musician? I mean, I kind of always just felt like an artist of some kind. That was just the one that the 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 world that I landed in. But I could see myself being able to express it equally in other ways. I mean, again, through like, yeah, therapy for one. Uh, here in the Northwest of the U.S., like, I get a lot of that through nature, um, hiking, camping, stuff like that. Um, 
but you see it, yeah, you see it in sports, you see it in filmmaking, you so see it in, yeah, there's just, it's, it's, if you, if you can get, if you can express yourself and you, and you go, yeah, aha, that's it. Like whatever it is you're doing, even yeah, cooking, I love cooking. I feel like it's got so many parallels to music. Uh, I have mistakenly thought that I wanted to make a career out of it. And I'm glad I did. <laughs> Why that? Why you- <laughs> just for fun, cooking for friends and myself. It's, Oh, it's just actually doing food professionally has nothing to do with creativity. It has everything to do with getting up early because someone called in sick and working 12 hours a day and things like that. So it's super Um, stressful. But the actual create, yeah, it's very stressful. But the the idea of like just, you know, taking some raw ingredients and and creating something and sharing it with other people, it's it's the same idea as writing a song or, you know. Very much so. It's a feeling. Very much so. The ingredients Uh, are, sorry, I keep interrupting you. Oh, no, no, go ahead, go ahead. Now, as you're saying, the Repeating ingredients myself. are basically your gear and the engineering part of mm-hmm. it, and then you're cooking, that's the recording process, and then you wait. Recipes uh, like a song. The recipes <laughs> like the song, and you know, uh, then you wait for it to simmer, for it to all settle down, because uh, in most cases, that's, that's the final mix and master. And then you serve to people, mm-hmm. which is release day. Yeah, <laughs> and it's... Um, yeah, and it's like all about timing. Like really good cooking is all about timing, you know. Oh, like, yeah. and 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 like magical blends of things, and it's a story. And yeah, and that I could be talking about anything. I could be talking about soccer, football. I could be talking about anything. It's 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 uh, the chemistry between the people. It's the yeah, and I love yeah. So, so even even if I like had to. Get, like if I lost my hearing or something, I feel like after whatever period of grief I would have, I would still have that same desire to express it with whatever else other senses I had left. Because um, that's, I don't know, what I got to do on here on this planet. That's beautiful, man. Where is the best place to find mm-hmm. you and support you as an artist? Um, so my website is emerson77.com or <clears throat> I've been in the process of rebranding you can the same website space ranch studios um uh, space ranch i feel like uh in companies the two styles that i love the most like sort of rooty and organic there's the ranch and then space the sort of uh spiritual and atmospheric um yeah and then there's a space space ranch studios uh, playlist on spotify if you look it up that has got a collection of my work Beautiful. Um, but that you can also find all that on my website. Beautiful. FYI, all the links, as always, will be included on the episode webpage as well. We'll get to that. Um, it's been fantastic catching up with you, brother. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for inviting me. I'm really, really glad we reconnected. I've always, I've always felt a pretty special connection with you, but it, even in the brief times we've, we've hung out. Likewise, man. I sincerely appreciating the, appreciate you feeling like I agree. Um, I, I forgot to tell my listeners that you've been a very, very uh, uh, special contributor to my sophomore album, which I released, and I love what you did on it, by the way. Um, oh, thank you. And it was a first take. I remember that too. Just uh, <laughs> it was uh, done in like uh, I don't know, four years, hours or something. I sent you files. It was done. And it just added this beautiful dimension uh, to the entire thing. And um, I'm a fan. Like words. Thanks, man. And f- uh, this was f- fantastic conversation. And um, um, 
I have no idea how to taper off now. I'm bad at this. In case no one's noticed, <laughs> I'm not really a professional <laughs> podcaster. So I, I want... listen to. I'm a podcast addict, and yeah, I you know, it, yeah. I guess I'd I'd learn and listen to so many, um, and some of the subjects I'm into are sort of obscure. So there's definitely a lot of off the cuff, and as long as the audio is not like one, the guest is like 12 decibels quieter than the host. I really am. <laughs> I enjoy the free form element. It drives me crazy though. when there's even professional podcasts with like, um, you know, that the, the audio component, I just can't, I yeah. just want to write all of them and say, can I please master your podcast for you? Cause <laughs> I want to listen to it without having to have my hand on the volume. I'm a little, um, I'm a little nervous about how you <laughs> feel about my production, uh, or the, the production of this one though. Yeah, well, sometimes you can't help what your guest has got. Hopefully, you know, I got a good mic in front of me here, so hopefully that'll uh, yeah. help you on your end. Well, I'm very lucky. This uh, I've actually been sponsored by um, Zoom, uh, who mm -hmm. sent me a mixer specifically designed for podcasts. So uh, the quality has been oh, actually cool. pretty decent. I try and avoid the the typical harsh, overtly compressed uh, radio sound. Mm -hmm. And I try and keep the sound as natural as possible, but yeah, still still in the process, man, still trying to get a hang of it. Gratitude from the bottom of my heart for listening to the very end. Please consider taking a minute to subscribe to our show so you know when the next episode is out. This is a labor of love, one I hope snowballs into one that's sustainable in its attempt to support independent thought and authentic relating. And having you as a regular member of our audience is what makes that a realistic prospect. Much love and talk soon. Just another voice out in.